0: My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors uh, at Mountain View and been part of the family uh, here for 24 uh, years. Seems like it's just blowing by. Looking forward to that anniversary service. It's going to be great. Of course, live the mission next weekend. So we've already had a great time worshiping God, haven't we? It's just been awesome. Praising together and praying, hearing what God's doing around the world. It's really a privilege. Uh, but I still am, I'm still going to preach a sermon, so... Sorry about that, but uh, it's, it's going to be uh, tight. I recognize the time constraints, uh, and I'm ready for that this morning. We're going to be talking in our Live Dead series, we're continuing that series, and talking about identity as Christians, who God has made us, and we're really going to unpack a very simple two-word definition of identity, that is, we are, as Christians, in Christ. Those are two words that define who we are more than any other two words possibly could, and so that's where we're going and i'm going to be talking out of galatians chapter two today so if you've got a bible you can start turning there and we're going to look at that in just a minute when we talk about identity we draw our identity from all kinds of different places Uh, we can talk about our genetic identity and uh, i've got a picture of what uh, a bunch of genes look like isn't that interesting right 22 uh, genes there you can see that's them just mapped out in some kind of technical way And then an X and a Y at the end. That's if you're a boy or a girl, you get one of those. And you have 23 genes. We've all got them, right? It's kind of amazing. But is that who you are? I hope that's not the sum total of your identity. That would really be weird, right? But it looks kind of cool. How about your, yeah, your fingerprint, right? Your California State Driver's License, your ID number. I mean, is that your identity? Uh, Our Ancestry is really popular, right? They advertise on TV all the time, Ancestry.com, right? Your family uh, of origin, Right? We're all t- about identity these days. We talk about identity politics, right? S- separating ourselves into little groups based on where we grew up or our culture or the color of our skin or the language that we speak. Whatever. All kinds of groupings and we fix identity uh, around those things. It could be our education. Right? It could be our sexuality. It could be our career our family, all those things are sources of identity for people in our culture. And they're sources of identity for us, too. It's not that they're irrelevant. But none of them rise to the level of identity that really defines us, that is, our identity in Jesus Christ. It's a completely different way of looking at it, and it's certainly a completely different way than our world would ever consider, and yet it's very powerful, and it's Loaded throughout Scripture, and we're just going to take a look at one of the passages uh, that talks about it today in Galatians chapter 2. To live in Christ is another way to say that we're going to live dead. So we're unpacking what that means, that title, by looking at this theme of identity. And so in Galatians chapter 2, this is written by the Apostle Paul, the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, a word to us. And the context is important, so I want to just talk about that and one other thing before we start reading. The Apostle Paul is relating to the church in Galatia a discussion that he had with the Apostle Peter, right? So he's he's relaying a, a back and forth with another Apostle. And Peter had been with some Jewish Christians, and they had been observing some Jewish laws that as Christians we don't actually have to follow anymore. And Peter had started to follow some of those laws again. And he was doing it in an environment where there were a bunch of non-Jewish people, we call them Gentiles, that's most of us, who didn't need to follow those laws and this was separating the Christians into two groups, right? Jewish Christians following Old Testament law and non-Jewish Christians not following it. Paul sees this happening and he confronts Peter and says, Peter, basically, you're getting confused about your identity. You're starting to focus on your Jewish identity above Our identity together in Christ. And he relates to the Gentile, to the church in Galatia, this same issue. But it speaks to us as well, and that's my second point, is that just because this is a conversation that happened 2,000 years ago, it doesn't mean that we're just sort of looking at as disinterested bystanders, that it doesn't really relevant to us. It absolutely is. It's this challenge of every Christian to somehow put another source of identity above our identity in Christ. That's the issue that the Apostle Paul was addressing with Peter. And if one of the apostles can drift into that, then we all need to watch out because we could all drift into that. Second thing I want to point out before we read it is you don't want to get caught thinking about yourself in such a way... That you're looking at this uh, talk about identity and going, well, sure, you know, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, really spiritual people, of course, they're in Christ and they can talk about this close relationship with Christ and all that He's done and it's all so wonderful, but you don't know me, you don't know my life, that's not true about me. <laughs> you can't think like that. Here's why. Let's, uh, has anybody played the game, uh, have you ever, right, you've been, say something that you know, nobody else has done, right? So, let's play that game right now. We're here in church, but we're just going to add one person who's not here. We're going to add the Apostle Paul, okay? And I'm going to go. Have you ever personally murdered somebody because they were a Christian? Anybody? Yeah, no hands. Oh, Apostle Paul, I see that hand. Yeah, that's right, you did that. Wow, that's horrible. No, that's, that's your old life. That's his story, If anybody had an excuse to say, oh no, that identity in Christ thing, that can't be about me. I killed Christians. That's his old life. These things that he's saying he knows now are true about him because he's been made new. And if that's the case, then certainly they could be true for us if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as well, right? All right, so here we go. Verse 15, Galatians chapter 2. Paul starts like this. He says, you and I talking to Peter, right? You and me, Peter, were Jews by birth, not quote-unquote sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law, right? And the law is, in the Old Testament, a very specific thing. There's a bunch of laws. You could think about it as the the Ten Commandments. Those are the ones, the laws that we're most familiar with. And there were more laws than that. But almost every group of people has some law, right, that they follow. It's a moral code of one kind or another. He says no one ever is going to be made right with God by doing that, by following a moral code. But suppose in verse 17 he says, we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law, I stopped trying to meet all its requirements, that is, so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. There are these two words that define our identity as Christians in Christ. It's a phrase that's used over 150 times in the New Testament. It's not that easy to define, right? Because this idea of how can our life be in Christ. He's got his life. Somehow my life is inside the life of Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Uh, I've got a picture here of a baby in the womb, and it's amazing what they're able to do. Now, obviously that's doctored, right? It doesn't look actually like that. But somehow they're able to pull off an image like that. Don't ask me how. That's really cool. We could just stare at it all day. Isn't that an amazing image? And I think it's a reasonable parallel to try and draw as a picture, Right? This baby's life is inside the life of its mother. The baby's drawing life from the life of the mother. The baby's not doing anything, just curled up inside there. Inside the life of Jesus is our life. And we receive, we draw what life we have now as Christians from Him, like a baby does in the womb. Not a perfect analogy, but certainly a beautiful analogy. Uh, an amazing analogy. We're connected to the life of Jesus. The Bible talks about this all the time, the fact that when we become Christians, you know, our old life, as Paul says, is crucified with Christ, that there's some sense in which we were crucified when Jesus was crucified. In other places, the Bible talks about the fact that we're buried with Christ through baptism, right? That somehow... Our life is being connected to this experience of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and raised to new life. We're not paying for anybody's sin and all of that, right? We're receiving something from Jesus Christ, but our life is bound to His. And now in the same way that Jesus lives forever ever in a resurrected body, we have this hope that we also will experience that in this life and in the life to come. In Christ, two words that define our identity. To be in Christ, to actually do that day in and day out, is to live by trusting in the Son of God. That's a key phrase in here in verse 20. And I want to drill down into verse 19 and 20 just a little bit and talk about how we respond to the fact that when we become Christians, we've been placed in Christ. What do we do we do? Is there anything to do? Well, the only thing Paul says here is that I live in Christ, right? I live in this earthly body By trusting in the Son of God, that is by continuing to put my faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that we're asked to do. So let's look at that a little bit. just want to work through Galatians 2, verse 19 and 20, a little bit slower. So he says, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Okay, that makes sense. Have you ever tried to keep rules that you can't keep, right? You know what you feel like when you're little. You feel guilty. You feel that condemnation. Right? and that's pretty much how every religion works. There's a list of rules, and then you work hard to try and keep it, and if you do keep it, God or the higher being is pleased with you and you can be happy and feel secure. That doesn't work. Unfortunately, a lot of people who name themselves as Christians try and work with this, right? They do the same thing. By the way, that's why it makes sense, actually, <laughs> to embrace atheism in our culture, right? If you don't want to believe in God and all you know is religion is a series of rules that make you feel guilty, why not just be an atheist and decide there's no God because guess what happens then? All the rules get thrown out. You don't have any. You just get to decide to do whatever you want. It's genius. (laughs) Now, it doesn't work because you still have a conscience and you're still going to end up feeling guilty and you're going to devise some other kind of moral code because nobody can possibly live without one, right? So eventually it doesn't work but on the surface of it, it sounds like a great idea. I think that's why you know, atheism sort of spikes when you're in college and seems awesome. And then as actually life happens, you know, there's less and less atheists out there because it just doesn't work. But logically, just sorting it out in your head, it kind of makes sense why people embrace that. So Paul says, look, it condemned me when I tried to keep the law. He says, so I died to the law. That is, I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Okay, so it's not atheism. He says, I stopped trying to meet the law's requirements, but not because I rejected that there was a God. I just said, I'm not going to try and connect with God through that anymore. I want to live for God. How is that possible? The next phrase, my old self has been crucified with Christ. So, Paul says, I died not like I killed myself, but my old self was crucified with Christ. This is all happening through faith, right? I allowed Christ to take over my life and crucified my old life. So he says, so it's no longer I who live, not my old life. It's not me anymore. He says, it's Christ who lives in me. Now Jesus has come into my life by the Holy Spirit and he lives his life through me. Now you might go, well, just wait a second. Are we in Christ or is in Christ in us? Yes. (laughs) The Bible says both of those things. (laughs) They're both true simultaneously. How How are they both true simultaneously? Well, that's a spiritual paradox. How is it that we can be both in Christ and Christ in us? And yet both of those things are powerfully true. So Christ lives in me. And he says, so I live in this earthly body, right? So Paul's saying, I haven't physically died, right? Like my old self is crucified. I still have this physical body. And that tells us why we still deal with temptation, right? Because it's like, man, if my old self has been crucified, and I am no longer have to deal with the law, why do I still feel guilty about stuff? How come I still mess up? How come I still know I did things wrong? Why are still things a temptation? Because you live in an earthly body, and these bodies are susceptible to temptation, right? So Paul says, I live still in this earthly body, but I live it by trusting in the Son of God. That's faith, by putting my faith in Jesus. Paul says, that's how I live. That's how we're invited to live, in every area of our lives, Right? not just a couple areas, not just I trust in the Son of God when I go to church on Sunday. No, no, we're supposed to trust. That's how you live. Sleeping, waking up in the morning, brushing your teeth, having breakfast, going to work, going to school, taking care of the kids at home, doing whatever you're doing, going out on the golf course, going to the movies, using social media. All those things that are living, you live that by trusting in the Son of God. Jesus Christ. And then he goes further to define who this Jesus is that we trust in, right? Who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the spectacular gospel. If you ask Paul, Paul, what's the gospel you preach? He could have quoted this and said, here's the gospel I preach. I live by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Identifies Jesus and who he is. He's the Son of God, that he loves us and that He gave His life for your life and for my life, right? Sacrificing His life for our sins, paying our price, taking his, our sins upon Him, and in exchange giving us His sinless life, His righteousness, so that we could be made new. And it's like we've never sinned. We've been made right with God and received that gift simply by trust, by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. Receiving that is what it means to become a Christian. If you never made that decision, you'll have an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. And I encourage you, obviously, to strongly consider making that choice. When I was about 18 years old, I got a book. I can't remember how I got the book. So, it doesn't really matter. I know that it was God's timing. He gave me the book somehow. (laughs) And it was called Birthright. And the subtitle of the book was called Christian, Do You Know Who You Are? And the whole book was about identity in Christ. And that was really a life-changing book for me. I had been a Christian since I was a kid, raised in a wonderful church and a godly home and discipled well by parents and teachers and youth sponsors and all that kind of stuff. But I still needed to grow and understand what it meant for me now as kind of an 18-year-old be beginning to be a young adult, what does it mean for me to be a Christian? What's my identity? And that book was transformative, especially around the whole issue of temptation. You know, as an 18-year-old struggling with temptation, and I really was focused on, okay, I need to have better boundaries in my life. I need to be more in control. I need to have more self-discipline. I need more accountability. I kind of had my list of things to do to try and work on temptation, right? And it was a law right? It was a set of rules. And the book was just unpacking passages like this passage where Paul says, "I'm dead to the law. I live by trusting in the Son of God. That's the pathway to freedom from temptation, not trying to tough it out and be strong. <laughs> it's about what Jesus does." And that was revolutionary and life-changing for me. That book, unfortunately, is mostly out of print. It's hard to get, but about 10 years later, another book was written. Uh, called Victory Over the Darkness. There it is. It's a phenomenal book. I absolutely recommend it to every single Christian to read. It. If you've never read it, you don't have a book on your bookstand, there you go. Now you know which one to get. It's like $9 on Amazon or something. It's about your identity in Christ. It deals with the same topics and the same issues, and it's absolutely wonderful. This is a topic that every single person who wants to grow into maturity in Christ, Christ has to wrestle through. You cannot be a mature believer and be confused about your identity in Christ. That has to get strongly solidified in your life, and it doesn't just happen once. I mean, it's not like, got that figured out at 18, now I move on. No, the Lord's reteaching me new things all the time. But this is a really fundamental issue for every single believer. Let me wrap up with the story. Back in 1814, there was a missionary named Adoniram Judson who went to Burma, and he was one of the very first american missionaries this is 1814 america is a young country this is over 200 years ago and he was called to burma and went there and served and was effective as a missionary and saw some people become christians and worked at translating uh, the bible into the burmese language and a variety of other things and he also endured an incredible amount of hardship life was harder in 1814 period but when you went overseas, it got really hard. He had two, two wives died. Not, he didn't have two wives at the same time, but you know, consecutively <laughs> died on the mission field. A number of children died in Burma there. Miraculously, he didn't. He always recovered from the fevers that he got. But he went through incredible loss and hardship, and then all the opposition simply to the mission work in that country that had no openness to the gospel, Really? There's a season in his life where he had experienced the loss again of a spouse and then family members and he was just broken hearted and depressed and it's totally understandable and he really started to reassess like what am i doing here right his identity was in question really like is god really god am i really called to be a missionary here what's my purpose in this life And he talks about it, and it's described in his biography, a book called To the Golden Shore. I'm just going to read a little portion of it to you. It says this about him. It says, he began to suspect that his real motive in becoming a missionary had been not genuine humility, but ambition. Ambition to be the first American foreign missionary, the first missionary to Burma, the first translator of the Bible into Burmese, first in his own eyes and the eyes of men. He had a lust to excel. Isn't that interesting? he accomplished actually all those things, but he started to realize that I'm driven by ambition to achieve these things. I'm not living in Christ. He wrestled in some really intense ways, built a little hut, lived in the jungle... Uh, for weeks at a time dug a grave and just looked into the grave and meditated you know on his own death and the death of his wife and i wouldn't recommend doing that sounds really depressing but he was wrestling with identity and he came through that and became a much better missionary a missionary driven by his desire to live in christ and not by his own ambition and that country burma is myanmar today the same country that Dave and Louise served in, 200 years later. He learned to live dead. They're living dead there. And in between, generation after generations, right, Christians have lived there and served there, lived dead for Jesus' sake. And we can be a part of that incredible family today. I invite the worship team to come on up. I'm going to invite you to stand. We want to wrap up by singing a great song and just responding to what the Holy Spirit's doing. So I invite you to stand with me. I just want to challenge you to think about your own identity in Christ and whether that's clear for you or that's an area where you really need to grow. And we've got some wonderful bookmarks at the front here that are about our identity in Christ that just put together a bunch of scriptures that you can meditate on. I want to encourage you to come and grab one of those. Maybe you just want to come and pray and ask God to strengthen your understanding of what it means to be in Christ today. I do want to challenge you to respond in some way, to think about what it would look like if your own identity was stripped away like it was for this Adoniram Judson. What would that be like if all of a sudden your career evaporated and your family was gone and all the things that you draw identity from were pulled away? Would it just be left, you in Christ? Would that be the last thing remaining? If not, why not? What would it take to put Jesus at the center Of your identity. Not just sort of orbiting your life, but you orbiting the life of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing identity that we have available to us in Christ. And we want to appropriate that identity and actually live it out. We want to live by trusting in the Son of God. We pray that you'd help us to do that as a church today. We pray that you'd come and do that work by your Holy Spirit that's so miraculous that helps us to understand and live out things that we didn't understand before, do things we couldn't do before. We rely totally upon you. Come and speak to our hearts and prompt us to respond. So we continue with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never responded to that gospel message we talked about, I want to encourage you to do that today. I'd invite you to just put up your hand and someone will pray with you at the end of the service. We won't call you up or embarrass you or anything, but we want to talk to you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to actually be in Christ. Is there anybody like that? You never made that decision? You want to do that? You want to talk to somebody about that today? Just give me a minute. All right, for the rest of us, let's worship. Let's respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's sing as the team leads us.